Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Amen. The title of my message today is Man Enough. Man Enough. You know, the Bible, of course, talks a lot about men. And on Father's Day, we're going to talk about men. Because as we said already, it's a day to celebrate real men. Sometimes, you know, society likes to act like there's something wrong with men having emotions. I like, I like what TDJs calls them, he-motions. I think that's good. Men have emotions. Men have challenges. Men have dreams. And God cares about men. God cares about every detail of their lives. And so what the Lord really wants me to minister today is something to help uh, our men to uh, experience what God wants them to experience, to help them overcome wherever they're struggling, to help them to be the men that they and God want them to be, and then also to kind of help our families help the men. And so I'm going to start today in 2 Samuel chapter 10, and in this story, Uh, King David had heard that one of his allies had died. The king had died, and so his son was taken over. So King David said, well, you know, his dad was good to me, so I'm going to send some of my men over there just to, you know, comfort them. And when he did, well, that young man's counselors or advisors said, oh, he's not here to comfort you. He's sending his men to spy out your land so he can attack you. So he, instead of receiving those, those servants, receiving that really what was meant to be good, he chose to insult David. He actually cut off half the men's beer, cut off half their clothes, sent them away. When David finds out about this, of course, he's upset. And so this guy then hires, really end up being about five armies. And he's planning to go to war with David, and David shows up ready to go to war. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 10, when they get on a battlefield, David's general realizes that they have the enemy ahead of them and behind them. They're surrounded. So he actually splits up his forces. And he, you know, he says, and we'll look at some of this later, but he says to, you know, his brother, hey, I'm going to take these guys. I'm going to fight them. You take these guys. You fight them. And if I need help, you come help me. And if you need help, I'll come help you. But the bottom line is, this is not a great situation. This is a difficult situation that they find themselves in. And so after Joab, which was David's general, gave those instructions, he then turned to the men and he said this, be of good courage or be courageous. In other words, don't give in to fear. Be courageous. Overcome that fear. And let us play the men for our people, for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. So he said, be courageous. Then he also said, let us play the men. When I saw that, I thought about actors who maybe go and, you know, play a role of a superhero or of a spy. And, and, and I often when we look at 
a Tom Cruise or a Will Smith or people like that, you know, we don't really recognize that they really can't do that stuff. You know, maybe The Rock could, but the rest of them, they can't really do that stuff, right? They're playing a part. And he's saying here, you need to play the men here. Act like men. Be courageous and act like men in the middle of this battle. Go ahead and, and, and of course, the phrase play, play the men here means to be strong. It also means to conquer. So he's saying be courageous and be strong, even in the middle of a difficult situation. And then, of course, he ends this by saying, and the Lord will do that which seemeth good to him. In other words, when we do our part, then God will step in and do his part. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, we find this same type of terminology in an entirely different context. And Paul says there, watch ye stand fast or firm in your faith, quit you like men, be strong. Well, this is coming from the King James Version, and so there's some terminology that we don't use today. So let me help you with that phrase, quit you like men. It literally means to act manly. And if you look at this in multiple translations, you'll find that ultimately the same thing is being said here that was said in 2 Samuel chapter 10. He's saying be courageous instead of being paralyzed excuse me, or driven by fear. And he's saying be strong even in difficult situations. Be courageous and be strong. Be uh, somebody who overcomes fear. Be someone who isn't weak, who isn't moved easily, but stay strong in the middle of battle. What we can get from these scriptures is that God clearly has an idea in his mind of how men should act. When God thinks about a man, he has a picture of this is what a man looks like. This is how a man operates. A man really stands up in difficult times. And, you know, we had our, our crew meeting on Wednesday with a number of the guys. We, you know, I'm leading the crew meeting, and I think we're at City Wings on Wednesdays at 6.30. So, fellas, come on by, hang out with us. But one of the things one of the guys said that really stuck with me was that, you know, we really need to get to the place where we are clear on what's the definition of a real man. Because, you know, the world has its ideas. But we who are choosing to follow God, even those who aren't, it would be good for us to have an idea of what the Bible says a real man is, of how God views a real man. Because clearly he ex there's something he's thinking of when he talks about being a man. And part of that is that he's courageous and he's strong even in difficult situations. But there's even more than that. So I want to give you five attributes of a real man in God's eyes. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Anybody interested in getting this? Amen. Ephesians 5.25 says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Here's number one. Real men sacrifice. Real men sacrifice. 
course, the greatest example of a real man is Jesus, right? He was a man's man, not just physically, not just mentally or in his appearance or any of those areas, but in the ways that really counts on the inside. And we're given his example here where the Bible says that Christ loved the church, and so he gave up his life for her. And if you know what the Bible says, it tells us that people who have not followed God really are, in one sense, enemies of God. Not that God doesn't love them. Clearly, he gave up his son so they could be on his side. But they were against him. And so Jesus went ahead and gave up his life for his enemies because God loved us that much because he loved us that much. He had to be courageous and strong enough to allow himself to be crucified so that even his enemies could have the chance to become a part of God's family. And so clearly what he did here was he sacrificed himself for us. And he did all of this motivated by love. Of course, when the Bible talks about love, It's not just talking about uh, an emotional attachment. It's talking about an unconditional, everlasting spiritual force. The God kind of love is not dependent on what somebody does for me or doesn't do for me. The God kind of love does not have an expiration date on it. The God kind of love, of course, uh, is, is, is strong, man. It's passionate. In fact, the word agape comes from a word which means to breathe after. You know, so almost like panting after somebody. I love you so much. It hurts. And Jesus literally could say that, couldn't he? And so Jesus loved us so much that he allowed nails to be put in his hands, nails to be put in his feet. He hung on a cross, realized that Jesus at any time could have called for a legion of angels to deliver him from this, right? And sometimes that's what the world says. A real man doesn't let stuff happen to them. A real man would have bucked up and he'd have, he'd have just took everybody out. No, a real man would have known he could have did that, but because he loved so much, he allowed this to happen to him. A real man knows how to show restraint when it's necessary, and that's what Jesus did. He gave of himself, and this is what real men do. Real men love. If you get nothing else out of this today, I want you to get a hold of that. Real men love. And, and I'm talking about this spiritual love. I'm talking about this uh, unconditional, everlasting love. This love that says, I love you. Not I love you if. No, I love you. Period. There's no expiration date on this. There's nothing you can do to change it. I love you just like Jesus loved me. And, of course, that kind of love will cause an individual to give of themselves. And that's what sacrificing is. It's giving of yourself. It's not just giving of something that you have. It's giving of yourself. 
You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 that Jesus loved us so much he gave of himself for us. And so we ought to give of our lives for others. And that's really what, what God is expecting here. That's what, what real men do. They, they choose, that's a big word, to give of everything that they are for their families. Because it is a choice. They choose to give of themselves. If I'm giving you my life, that's everything for their family. Ran, uh, I ran across a couple of really sad stories and yet inspiring stories when I was studying this. And, and I came across a couple of articles, and one of them was about a father who was, you know, outside with his kids, and they were in a park, and this park was supposed to be safe. But a polar bear just came out the brush. And what he did was he jumped between his kids and the polar bear. He told his kids, run, and then he died protecting his kids. Read about another guy, and something happened, and the people started shooting at him, but he was there with a couple of his kids. He had one in his arms. What he did was he then turned his back and took six bullets in his back to protect the toddler in his arms. He died. His kids were shot, but they lived. Read about another man, and some carjackers came up to his car. Of course, they asked him, you know, they said, get out the car. He gave him his wallet, but he said, I can't get out the car. My two-year-old's in the back seat. So he refused to give him the car because he was not going to let them take his car and his child shot in the head, ended his life. How many know that's what real men do? In every one of those stories, those families raved about this man who was willing to give his life to protect his family. And that's what men do. Now, thank God that most of us don't ever have to make that level of sacrifice. But that's what men do. Whatever I've got to do so that my family is where they need to be, they can follow God's plan for their life. That's what I'm going to do. Real men act like Jesus, and they sacrifice for their families. Number two, real men are selfless. Real men are selfless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, most people know that, or most of us who are Christians know that that's the love chapter, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love this, does this, love does that. And actually, I heard something that might be great for all single people. If you're dating someone and you can't put their name in there everywhere that it says love, you're probably dating the wrong person. Ooh. And one of the things it says here is love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. That word seek means to be about. It's not about just my, mine. In fact, the message translation says it this way. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. It isn't always me first. So 
this love that we already finished talking about that we men, real men have is not a selfish love. It's a selfless love. This kind of love does not put myself and my needs and my wants first. It does what God is saying we ought to do. It puts others first. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24, it says this, because this really doesn't just apply to men. It says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So clearly that's something that men should be doing. We should be seeking the good of others. You know, I, I like to play basketball. I told you I played in, you know, high school, a little bit of AAU, played a little bit in college, and, and uh, I played point guard. And so, you know, a point guard's job is to really help other people succeed as well as score themselves. And that's the way I always enjoy playing. And it's fun to score, but I would have just as much fun getting what is called an assist. If I, if I helped somebody score, I got just as much enjoyment out of that as I did scoring. In fact, you know, one of my friends here, I, I don't see him here now, but, uh, you know, because he's a traveling man. He's always all over the country. But uh, we played in high school together. And I remember we played a game uh, at, at a particular school. Uh, I won't mention the name of it, so we won't embarrass them. But um, actually, I think we lost that night, so let me shut up. But uh, this one game, you know, on our team, he was the scorer and I was the assist man. So one night he had 40. And everybody like, man, you got 40. But I was excited because if I, if I counted correctly, I believe I had 15 assists. And I hooked my man up, Right? And so, you know, usually people like playing with me because I'm not just looking to score. I'm trying to hook you up. And that's really how men are supposed to be, period. That's how everybody's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be just about your dream. Thank God that God will give you your dream. But really, if, and, and this is true about leaders, true, real leaders are almost more focused on helping the people around them live their dreams than having those people live Help him live his. And that's true of real men. Real men are selfless. They're not just focused on what they want. They pay attention to and go out of their way to meet the needs of others in their lives. Whether that's physical needs. The Bible says men are to provide for their household. Whether that's emotional needs. The Bible says husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. That's talking about meeting their emotional needs, whether it's for attention or affection or the, the need for uh, support or the need for you to be a good father or we can go on and on and on for conversation, for example, or whether that's, of course, uh, with our children. They need somebody to teach them and to help them figure out what their purpose is in life and to be there. See, real men are not just thinking about me. They're, they're, they're starting their day, and, and they're starting their time with their family, focused on what can I do to help you guys. They ask, how can I help you today? Instead of just focusing on what I need. Real men know it's not about me. It's not about me. And that's one reason why I would say if you're dating someone, and this is true whether you're dating a man or a woman in terms of, you know, if you're, you're a man dating a woman, you got to hear this too. If they're all about me, they're not ready for marriage. They're not even ready to date. And you sometimes have to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how many times did I say I today? How many times did I say I in that conversation? 
And man, you start paying attention to that, this will humble you very quickly because we all struggle with it. But no, somebody, they're not, they're not ready to marry if it's all about them. You want someone who has already developed the character necessary to serve somebody else. Thank you for those two or three amens. Real men are selfless. And, and you know, you ever think about this? And guys, before you get married, think about this. As a man, you're going to work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, whatever, and you ain't going to get to spend none of it. So you better just understand that. But on the other side of that, we ought to appreciate the guys that are already doing that because they're working hard, bringing home the check, and then they barely, they over there asking, can I, you know. All right, let me keep on moving. Real men have self-control, number three. Real men have self-control. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. Now, if you were to read this whole opening of Scripture, I won't take it there because it will take too long. But if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you find out that he's actually talking about people who want to get into the office of a bishop or an elder. And the idea is somebody doing what I'm doing right now, standing on stage, ministering to other men, ministering to women. And he's telling us that that's a good position to want to be in, but there are certain qualifications that you must have before you are quali- before you should be allowed to do that. And his qualifications really are simply this. The, let's put it this way. He's saying that you ought to look at a man and evaluate how he's living right now if he has the attributes that really God expects a man to have right now. And then you can determine if he can step up and become an elder or a bishop. And so what we read in that chapter are really the attributes of a real man, an attribute of what a man should be according to God. And one of those things is that a real man has self-control. Self-control. Now, self-control is not God-control. It's not just, well, you know, I need God to stop me, God to make me, God to know. No. God's not in the making business. Now, Satan is, but God isn't. He's not going to make you do anything. He won't make you go to heaven. You think he's going to make you, you know, be good to somebody here? No. You are a free moral agent. You can do what you want to do. But there are consequences to your actions. And so God is telling us here that really as a man, we ought to have self-control, which means that I'm never out of control, which means I'm not giving in to my anger. Y'all know I love comic book movies and Star Wars and all that stuff. And I thought about, you know, when I was studying this, you know, how that was how the emperor and Darth Vader tried to get Luke Skywalker to turn to the dark side. What would they say? Give in to your anger. But see, you might be angry. Bible doesn't teach it's a sin to be angry. It's a sin to hang on to it. But, you know, there are times you're going to be angry, but where you have a problem is when you give in to the anger. And now you're out of control and you're just saying whatever you want to say and doing whatever you want to do. See, now there's no self-control. You know, James chapter 1, I'm skipping the Scripture, but James 1 verse 19 says this, 
understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This is what a, a, a man of God does. They listen first. And they don't just, you know, they don't have this hot temper. Or you almost feel like you got to walk on eggshells around them because if you happen to say the wrong thing the wrong way, they're going to go off on you. Because, see, you can even correct somebody. And there's a place for rebuking somebody and letting them know, hey, this is not right. And whether it's a child in your home or, or a relationship you have where I can say, hey, I didn't appreciate this or this needs a change. But you can do that without uh, uh, and yet operate in self-control. And that's what men do. They find a way to control themselves instead of being driven by their emotions or driven by their passions. The Bible calls that the flesh. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says this, but I discipline my body, which is my flesh. What's that? Human nature. There are things that you want to do as a man. Sometimes you want to punch somebody. Sometimes you see somebody across the way that's not your wife and you want to approach them. Or you want to get on the internet and look at stuff you know you shouldn't be looking at. Sometimes you want to cuss at folks. There's a whole, a whole lot of things that we all know we want to do sometimes. Don't look at me like that with your holy self. Right? But, you know, and sometimes you don't want to work hard. You don't want to be diligent. You want to do just enough. But real men, they keep their body under. They bring it, as the Scripture says, into some subjection. They, they say, I know I, I, the real me, is driving this ship, not my body. Not my emotions. No, I'm going to choose to operate in self-control. Real men learn to control themselves. They're not the incredible hawk just turning green and screaming at everybody. Right? Real men, and because they, they know how to control themselves, they inspire a level of security in those around them. People feel more at ease with them because they know they are solid. Real men are solid, not flaky, solid, mature. Number four, I know some of y'all are like, man, pastor, this is, this is hitting me hard. Stay with me. I got something for you. Number four, real men submit to the right leadership. They submit to the right leadership. James 4, 7 says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, when we, as men, we don't like to hear the word submit. Women don't like to hear the word submit. Nobody likes to hear the word submit. Nobody want to hear bend the knee, bow the knee, nothing. I'm my own man. Do what I want to do. But the problem with that is that you aren't God. There's a creator of the universe that's bigger and better than you are. In fact, there is an enemy who's bigger and better than you are. Without God, you couldn't handle one little demon. Let's be frank. We just get two or three guys in here. I don't care how big and bad you are. We can take you down. You might take out one, but just three guys. I don't care how big you are. You're going down. So as big as bad and as bad as you are, you're not God. You need leadership. 
And the Bible is telling us that, first of all, you need to submit to God. That means to subordinate, to obey God. It tells us to humble yourselves because this is something that nobody should have to make you do. This is something you should choose to do because it's wise. Humble yourself. That's how people end up in prison because they won't humble themselves to the laws. So now society has to make them obey the laws of the land. It's much better to just figure it out on your own. And life has a way of throwing you in prison as well when you choose to try to act like you're God and not submit to those that God has put into your life as well. And notice how it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, you got to go low before you can go high. Once again, I, I, I love sports, and one of the things that I've noticed is that some of the best players in the world, in fact, all of them, listen to their coach. You know, whether it was a, a Kobe Bryant or Tom Brady or whoever. In fact, you could even say in some degree, to some degree, this is true in business. Some of the most successful business people in the world got there because they listened to their mentors. They listened to their mentor, and that's how they got to the place. But if they had decided, no, I don't need nobody, I know everything, they never would have gotten to where they are or it would have taken a lot longer and there would have been a much higher price to pay. In Hebrews 13, the Bible tells us that we ought to submit to spiritual leadership. The Bible tells us and and. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, there are times for believers to submit to other believers. We know that the Bible teaches us to submit to the authorities of the land, right? So you got to submit to the police officers. Oh, I don't like police officers. You sure would like them if something broke off in your neighborhood and you needed some help. Yes, there are some people in every profession who are not right. In every profession. But you can't, you know, the Bible still says submit to leadership. I can't stand the president. He's still the president. You submit to that type of leadership. The Bible talks about submitting to, you know, uh, teachers if you're in a classroom. I mean, God believes in submission and authority. There is an order, a right way to do things. And real men serve God. Real men submit to leadership. They don't decide they know it all. They decide that I need God's help and I need the help of those people that God has put in my life to help me. One of the things I like is, is something called the I Am Second campaign. And so many different uh, individuals who are so successful have gone out of their way to wear, you know, wristbands or do videos where they're saying, I'm not first, I'm second. He's first. He calls the shots. That's what it means for God to be Lord, right? You're the master. And I'm going to follow your instruction and, and, and that makes me a real man. I don't think you're a man if you are really the boss of your life. You haven't learned some things yet, but you will. Let me keep moving. I can see I, I kind of lost y'all. Y'all like, Pastor, I don't want to hear all this. But see, real men don't think they know it all. They don't think they know it all. Uh, and so they realize that you know, that I need to listen to some leadership. I need to get around some folk that do know what I don't know. And this is true of leadership in general is that, you know, there are good leaders and bad leaders. And good leaders, uh, bad leaders don't listen to people around them. They don't surround themselves with intelligent people. 
or they have surrounded themselves with intelligent people, they don't give those people the opportunity to speak into their lives. Those people are afraid to say anything because they're going to be slapped down or embarrassed or ostracized. Real leaders, good leaders, surround themselves with people who are smarter than they are. And they open the door for those people to speak up and, 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 and share whatever they need to share so that that leader can learn and, and grow. And that's the type of leader that people like to follow. Because they realize I can be me here. I can give my input, and at the same time, I can get the leadership I need. That's what's supposed to be a team. And that's what needs to happen in a home. If you're walking around, I'm the man of the house, I make all the decisions, and, and you don't even have a conversation. You know, you don't ask, what do you think? How do you feel about this? But yeah, you're a poor leader, and you're going to lead your family into, into a mess. A real man, a real good leader, understands I'm a leader. I'm going to make the final decision. That's understood. But I'm sure going to ask everybody I can, what you think? I want you to give me your input. I want to, because you might have a perspective I don't have. You might see something I don't see. And together, we can accomplish more. Last one. Real men travel in packs. What do you mean by that, Pastor? They travel in packs. You know, I told you, it started off with a story in 2 Samuel chapter 10 where David's men were going to war and Joab, who was a general, was leading the battle. I want to read again what Joab said. It said, when Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of Israel's elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. Notice what he said. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. And I think this is something we can get a hold of as men today, that many of us are just plain missing. Real men help each other. And real men accept help from each other. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. What that implies is, is that without another man in close relationship with you, you will not be as sharp as you should be. It is impossible for you to be the man God wants you to be doing this life alone. Just like it's impossible for a sword to get sharpened when there's nothing around to sharpen it with. You will never be all you're supposed to be if you're not in relationship with other godly men who will keep you sharp, who will help you to grow, who will push you to be more, and who will be there for you when you are in trouble. Because the bottom line is all of us at one time or another find ourselves in trouble. That's what Ecclesiastes 4 is teaching. It says two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I've shared this before, but I'll never forget this. I remember watching on uh, ESPN Sports Center one day, and this had to be a good 10, 15 years ago now. Uh, it, was, it was a football game. It was Marshall playing against somebody. And the quarterback was a man by the name of Byron Leftwich. And Byron got hurt pretty bad during the game. He hurt his ankle. He could barely stand. He surely couldn't run. And so, but they're at the very end of the game. They're trying to come back to win the game. He is the star. He can't sit out or we're going to lose. So what they did, he stayed in the game. And he hiked the ball and he stood back there on one leg and he delivered the pass and he, he was on the money. And what, what happened was his linemen then would come and grab him by the arms and they carried him up to the next line of scrimmage. And they hiked, and he ran it. He did it again. And once again, as soon as they completed the pass, they grabbed him. They, they carried him up to the line of scrimmage. They did this for the rest of the game. They won the game. And I never forgot it. Say, man, you want to talk about, there are times when you have a sprained ankle, but the game is on the line. You've got to get this right. You've got to handle this the right way. God's trying to do something in your life. You're trying to get through something. And, and if you don't have any relationship, you ain't going to be able to get her to the line of scrimmage because you already crippled. But if you got a brother or a couple of brothers who know what's going on, who love you, and you got somebody that can pick you up and carry you when you need to be carried because there are times when we need to be carried. And real men acknowledge that. See, you're faking it. You are a man. You're a boy in men's clothing. When you want to act like I don't ever need help. When you want to act like I know everything. When it's all about you and all about your desires and all about your, temp your temper and all about proving I'm a real man. When you're doing all of that, you're proving you're not a real man. Because any guy can do that. Anybody. It don't take it that hard. I could just decide to do all that right now. Decide I'm something. You say, well, you ain't big enough. I got guns. I know a little something, too. You don't want to find out? Hello? No. Anyway, anybody can do that. That doesn't make you a man. Makes you a man is when you learn to overcome those things. You use your brain. You listen to God. You connect with other brothers. You do things in packs. You know, we had a picture I found. I don't know if we can show it or not. I believe we got it. If we don't, then I'll just keep on moving. But it was, it was, there we go. This is real men. Lions traveling together, eating together, fighting together, providing for our families together, doing something great for God together. Real men don't try to do life alone. No, we open up to other men. And we allow them to help us, and we help them reach their destiny. And real men do work together to do special things for God. Now, I want to switch for a minute. I, I'm right at the end here. 
But I do want to talk about, talk to everybody else in here. Particularly, I want to talk to the wives in here. Since it's Father's Day, this is, this is the day to really show appreciation and love for your man. I, I saw a great picture online. I think my uncle was posting it. And it was saying, you, you mean that on Mother's Day, all the restaurants are packed? But on Father's Day, you expect me to barbecue? It's like, ooh, there's something to that. So I want to just encourage the ladies in here to take care of your man today and from here on out. Proverbs 31, 12 says this. It says, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You are God's gift to that man. You're there to do him good, right? So whether or not your man is all the things I talked about, because all of us are growing, all of us are developing, some of us are stronger in one area than we are in others, whether or not that's true or not, you should do right by them and right by God by taking good care of them, right? So I want to give you five ways to do that. Y'all want to hear them? Number one, I know the brothers, can I get an amen from the brothers? They say, yeah, pastor, you should have did this. This should have been the whole message, pastor. Anyway, number one, appreciate him. Most men feel greatly underappreciated. They may not tell you, I'm going to tell you for them. I'm going to tell you now everything they want to tell you that they won't tell you. Most men feel greatly unappreciated. They do go to work and work 40 hours and bring home a check. They do all this other stuff, and they don't get the benefits of those things. And then they don't hear a real thank you. And you may say, well, I do appreciate them. But what is, I may say this wrong, but what is that statement? You know, a gratitude that's not expressed isn't really gratitude. No, take the time to actually appreciate them. God has blessed you with the man in your life that has been a blessing to you. And so you should truly be thankful to God for that. And you ought to make sure that they know that they're appreciated as well. And you ought to really make a point of focusing not on what they do wrong, but focus on what they do right. Human nature is such that if I hurt a finger, and I actually have a hurt finger, we tend to want to focus on the one finger that doesn't work and ignore the nine that does. But, you know, the way life is, there's always going to be some challenge. And if all you do is ever look at whatever's wrong, you'll never be happy. But when God has given you all this that's, that's right, if you shift your focus, man, you can be happy no matter what. So you want to make a point of appreciating him and showing his appreciation. Paul said it over and over again when he started his prayers. He said, I thank my God for you. Why would he keep saying that to people? He, he's telling them, showing them their value. Their value to him and their value to God. Number two, respect him. Respect him. I remember when I was pastoring in Georgia, and this was about 10, 15 years ago, and I was teaching along these lines, and I was talking a little bit more about what should be happening in a bedroom in the home. And when I got done, this older man in the church, he stopped me in the lobby, and he was like, Pastor, you need to teach these women to respect their husbands. And he was hot. These men do all this stuff for these women, and they don't, they don't even respect them. And I figured out, read through the lines, 
oh, this is about you. You, you know, this is, and he's an upstanding man. He's, you know, one of them guys, good guy. And he feels like he wasn't being respected in his own home. The Bible says wives reverence your husbands. That's even a stronger word, which means to be in awe of them, to revere them. Well, didn't he feel that way about me? Yes, but we ain't talking about you today. It's Father's Day. We talk about the other side too. Men actually need to feel respected as much as women need to feel loved. And really, you know, we, we always joke around that, you know, the number one need of men is sex. But actually, the older I get, the more I think it's respect. So you want to demonstrate that respect through your words and through your actions. Number three, give him some time to himself. Give him some time to himself. The Bible says God gives us all good things to enjoy. Listen, men are constantly faced with responsibilities. They're constantly faced with the fact that they have to serve other people's needs. And that's part of being a man. But do give him a respite from that. Give him a break from that from time to time. But giving him time to enjoy some man cave time. Thank you for those two amens. I got one brother like, yeah, preach that, preach that. You know, sometimes you see people complaining, well, my man, all, all he do is this or that. You know, he likes to do this. And, and don't get me wrong, he should not prioritize his me time over his family. Right? No way, right? There's no way that that should be happening. But the other side of that is there should be some time where he can do what he wants to do. And don't judge him because he likes to play video games. It tripped me out. Ah, real man, don't play video games. You're joking, right? You just had an hour conversation about, you know, some bowls in your hair. That, to men, that's just as silly as playing video games is to women. So stop judging with your uppity self. Whatever he like to do, let him do it. Oh, see, see, I'm trying to stop preaching. Number four, play with him. And I'm not talking about sex here. I'm talking about what he enjoys. Because, you know, the way men are, men actually need their wives to enjoy the things that they enjoy with them. Because this, women connect face-to-face. The Bible, the, teach, the churchy word is fellowship, right? Women, they, they can stand, sit at a table and talk to each other, and they feel like we connected, man. They're having a good time. That's not how men are wired. We connect side by side. Let me go fishing with you. Let me play something with you. Let me watch something with you. Let me do something with you. Then I feel connected. So he needs some of that time with you. And then number five, last one, have great sex with him. There the brothers are. I was waiting, wondering where y'all was at. Pastor, are you talking about, yes, because the Bible talks a lot about this. Proverbs 5.19 says, let her breast satisfy you at all times, and be thou ravished. That means to be made drunk always with her love. Somebody just turned red. We don't talk about this in church, and the only time you ever hear anything about it happens to be from what the world says. You know, man's favorite sport is not basketball, football, soccer, tennis, golf. Man's favorite sport is sex with his wife. And they need that more than women realize. I mean, like, oh, man. Yep. 
Sometimes it's this mentality of something wrong with my man. Men are dogs. But yet, you know, all men have the same need. If God made him that way, there's nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with him. This is part of being a man. And so sexual temptation is a much bigger problem for men than most women realize because it's not the same issue for them. And that's one reason why God created marriage. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, I'm going to read it to you. It says, but because there is so much sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Notice that the reason for marriage is so that you wouldn't commit sexual sin. That's not the only reason, but that's what he's saying here. So, just so, so you don't do, you know, you don't sin sexually. Instead of doing illegal sex in God's eyes, God says, I'm just going to give you legal sex. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's sexual, husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Notice it didn't say do not deprive yourself unless you have a headache. Do not deprive yourself unless they got on your nerves last week. Do not deprive yourself unless you don't feel romantic right now. Do not, hello, hello. The only unless here was fasting and prayer. And if you look in the Bible on this subject, the longest you ever saw fasting and prayer being done for this purpose was three days. So as far as God is concerned, we really ought to be having sex a lot more than we are, which is why there's a porn problem and an adultery problem and all these issues because married couples aren't doing what God put them together to do. Notice he ends it by saying, afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is actually one temptation that God does not want your husband to face at all. He shouldn't even be tempted because he's taking care of so much at home. So I heard somebody say something once. I thought it was funny, but it's actually pretty good. They said, don't ever let him leave the house hungry or horny. I could just stop the message right there and... uh, no, take care of them this way, and don't just have sex with them. Make sure it's great sex. Make sure you're giving your all, making it great, and you're going to find it. Whenever man is taken care of in that way, he will run through a wall for you. I want to challenge the men in here today. Be man enough for your household. Be the man God made you to be. I want to challenge the ladies. Take care of your man. Amen. I am done. Come on, let's come on, give God praise and glory. For Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.